One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello, everybody. We are back. We were on a short hiatus. I did take a couple of weeks off ever since launching the Reclaim Me podcast. Uh, It's just been me behind the mic, organizing meetings, recording, multiple recordings, editing, and you can imagine it is a lot of work and I decided to step away for a month or two and just give myself some breathing space. In that time, though, I have still been up to a little bit and we do have some amazing episodes ready to go for you and today is absolutely no excuse. Before we get to that, though, I do want to uh, send out some reminders for you all. If you do love this podcast, please, 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 please take five minutes out of your time, share it with somebody that you know or that you think might like it, go rate and review online uh, and show your support. I think it just helps so much to reach other people and for this podcast to eventually grow larger than it is right now as well. It really does help and it would help me out a lot if you could do that. Thank you so much. I'm hoping to get to... I reckon we're, I think we're at 50 now, um, Apple podcast, five-star reviews. I'd love to see by the end of the year to get somewhere near a hundred. So please help me achieve that goal. Go in and take two seconds and help me out with that. That would be amazing. Additionally, there are other resources that you can join. Uh, we do have the Survivor Support Network, which is a Facebook group, which is a peer-to-peer group for victim survivors and allies to join in to chat. Now, it might not be to chat about anything truly serious. There's people sharing memes on there. We've got chats happening. We've got people making friends with one another. It's an amazing space, so don't feel worried that you're going to join into an area that's highly triggering. And also don't worry about the fact that you might not know anyone else there. That's the purpose of it. It's to create community between people who have experienced crimes like this and so that they know that they're not alone in this world. And you can ask questions that, frankly, other people don't want to ask. So it could be, 
what to wear to an upcoming court date. It could be how you've accessed different types of help through your time. And it also could be a hilarious meme that we all think is funny. Anything goes. And I think that it's a really important service that we're putting forward. Now, onto that, if you want to get involved with any of the shows as well, you can also share your story if that is something that you want to do. So just reach out to me. You can get in touch with me via my Instagram at Reclaim Me Pod, uh, via Twitter. I think it's at MadHeat underscore, same as my personal Instagram. Uh, you can get in touch with me via the Reclaim Me Facebook page, via the support network. Or you can, I'm sure somewhere in the show notes for this episode, find my email. So there's a number of ways that you can get in touch with me. And if sharing your story or talking to me about that is something that you want to do, please reach out. Now, I know that was a giant intro, but a giant intro is what this woman also deserves. Now, today's guest is coming to us all the way from Kansas. Her name is Kim. She's an absolute legend. She's a mother She's a survivor, she's an advocate, she's a formal social worker, and she's an all-round badass that I think is an incredible human being and has turned a lot of her pain into tremendous power. Hello, I'm today, I'm joined by Kim. Kim is coming to us all of the way from the States. Welcome, Kim. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on board. Before we get started, do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, where you're from, etc.? I live in Kansas in the United States, and I'm a stay-at-home mom with two boys, three and six, so they keep me really busy. And then a couple nights a week, I coach gymnastics part-time. I kind of joke it's my breakaway from being mommy 24-7. My husband's an airline pilot, so when he's gone, I'm on full mom duty. That's amazing. And you've got, so you've got two little ones at home and you're doing a number of different things. And I love that you're, you're taking time out of looking after the kids by going to teach gymnastics. Is that still teaching kids though? So it goes from one kid to another? (laughs) It is, but it's, it's at least different because they're not my own. So, and it's fun. So I used to be a social worker. Um, I worked with veterans and I worked in child protective services. Um, It's definitely been an adjustment to not being in the professional world. And I've kind of been pursuing different avenues on the side of advocacy and kind of ways I can still be a part of that, but also be here with my kids. So. Absolutely. And it's such an important job as well. And it is so difficult, but it's also great that you've built some things in to give yourself some time and space in a different format as well. Um, But the reason that you are here, and I guess the reason that you do a lot of the advocacy is because of some of your own personal experience. So do you mind sharing with the listeners where that kind of started for you or where, where your story with this begins? So when I was a little girl, I fell in love with gymnastics the 1996 Olympics, Magnificent Seven, winning the gold medal in Atlanta was a big deal for me. Um, I was never, definitely not the best gymnast. I was never an Olympian, college, anything like that, but I loved it. And unfortunately, one of my coaches took advantage of that love from the sport. At the time, I had a lot going on at home. Um, My dad is a veteran and he suffered from some pretty severe mental health issues that my coach at the time knew about as well. And the gym was kind of my escape. And I tried to be there as often as I could. Um, But this coach would use that knowledge to take advantage of me. Um, And I was 12 years old at the time. And did that happen consistently while you were going back and forth from training? Yeah. So, well, 
it's hard to remember some of the details. Um, I believe, you know, that spring is when I moved up to the competition team for the first time and started working with this coach. So kind of throughout the spring and that's the summer, this was all when I was 12 um, before I started junior high. And um, he ended up later being fired from the gym that I worked at for sexually assaulting several of the female staff at the gym who were all over 18. At the time, nobody knew that I had been assaulted and abused. And I, at that time, I wasn't coming forward with information. I know my mom specifically asked me and I said, no, I avoided it. Um, it was hard because the coach, there were a lot of good things. And, and you know, I was craving that attention of, you know, because I, I needed something going on in my life. And but then the bad side of things. And at 12, it's hard to know what's right, what's wrong, um, especially in a sport like gymnastics, where there's obviously a lot of touching that has to go on for spotting and safety. And it was just kind of a really confusing time in my life that I it took me, um, you know, I think there was a specific incident over the summer that that happened that, that I told my best friend about, but, you know, she was 12 too. So it was hard to process. But then other than that, it took me at least a year or so to really kind of dive into what had happened and understand what it was. Absolutely. And you can't, you know, it's so hard to look back on these things as adults because you're looking through it from the lens of an adult. But you know, people often forget at that time, 12 years old, you were so young and you're so naive. You don't know what a lot of these things are, you know, and that's why this is especially heinous because this is an adult taking advantage of somebody who's clearly going through um, their own different troubles at home. But you said mm-hmm. your mum specifically asked you, was she, did she have some specific concerns or did she see something that she was worried about or? Um, I mean, he, w- he was fired for sexually assaulting female staff. So I'm sure that got the, the bug going in her ear about it and just my age. And I, you know, he definitely spent extra time with me. There were times, you know, he'd ask me to go with him places or he, there was one time that I remember that he asked me to go ride bikes with him at the school playground. And my mom said I could go, but I had to bring a friend. And so when I showed up with my friend, he was upset and left because she was there. Um, and he, of course, didn't have a bike with him. So I think just there were some red flags. Was this situation, and I, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking this is a guy who's at least kept up the facade of being able to be a coach and be around what it, like children and, you know, be able to be employed. He's not this monster predator, which is, I think, something that we do need to talk about a lot is that a lot of these guys are nice guys, acquaintance people who, who are good people to, off to the outside world. Yes. What was he like oh. with you? Was he like when you look back on it now, do you believe what he was doing was, was grooming you? And is that how it started? Um, And especially I've had the opportunity recently to reconnect with another one of his victims that he was actually um, convicted of abusing. And so much of our stories is exactly the same. Um, And reading through her police file and going over that, like there was definitely a pattern to it. He definitely targeted certain kids. Um, But kind of what you were talking about before, kind of the profile of some of these abusers. It's not the creepy guy in the corner that that everybody thinks looks weird and nobody trusts. It's everybody's best friend and the person that you know and you like. And 
you know, I've since learned that this coach had a reputation way before he got to me. He was assaulting and raping young women for years prior to this. And people knew about it, but decided, oh, he's so great. He wouldn't have done that. Um, it's It's been hard to acknowledge that certain people I've known in my life and have trusted that they they did know that things were going on. Um, one of his best friends that was also one of my coaches, um, even after I went to the police, this friend let him come and sit on the floor during one of my practices um, when I was cheerleading and sit there and watch and comment on it until I, when they went to leave, I went into the hallway and confronted them. As a 16, 17 year old, you know, I kind of went out there with the attitude, I'm going to confront you about what you did. And by the end, you know, he almost had me feeling sorry and that he was better. And I'm, after that confrontation, I'm like kicking myself. I'm like, how did you do that to me again, even? And this was before he got convicted of abusing Tess. So clearly nothing had changed. And it sounds like, you know, what we hear about even priests and anybody who's in these youth serving organizations that they get in trouble or people are suspicious of them and they know that what they're doing, but they still want to have access to children because he's probably a preferential sex offender with like a specific niche of girls that that are that age. And he's just gone from one institution to another institution to another institution. And the terrifying thing with perpetrators like this, like perpetrators like Jerry Sandusky, perpetrators like Larry Nassar in the gymnastics field as well, is that because they're nice and because they're great people and because of all of those different things, they are the most prolific offenders and they have their webs in so many different places and they've been able to continue on for so long. And this is why I think it's so important and thank you for sharing your story because this is what people and parents need to know about and we need to really start calling out people more for the fact that they're allowing things to go on when they're not comfortable with them or that they know something and they're allowing that situation. For you'd have to sit there as a kid and have your offender, someone you've gone to the police about, still sitting there. That's so unacceptable. How does it feel for you now, like looking back on that? Like what what does it, like it must be frustrating for you. Yeah, I mean, and the incident of, you know, the one coach letting the bad coach come in and sit and watch, like he knew everything. Like I said before, my dad had some severe mental health problems and my dad made the concerns known once everything came out about me. I talked to this person about it before. Um, and his own stepdaughter was out there on the floor with me as well. And he's, but you know, they were best friends through high school. It's, I know you mentioned the, the Larry Nasser story. Um, and it kind of makes me think about, you know, Larry Nasser had a best friend, John Gettert, who probably knew a lot of these things were happening as well. And, you know, my abuser, David Bird, had a best friend in the gym as well. And he turned his eye to things. So absolutely. And people don't understand as well that doing nothing is doing something. Doing nothing is a choice. And doing nothing only colludes with the perpetrator. That's the only thing that it does. You're not protecting children. For other coaches who are in charge of so many kids and programs, especially gymnastics, you know, it's just absolutely a point that people aren't speaking up about it. It's scary that people have a false sense of, oh, I know that person, they would never, you know, I have a friend that had a concern who 
Ed's daughter was going to be around a male teacher or something. And, you know, they had concerns about him that, but then they met the person they're like, Oh, now I feel better. And it's like, it's, it's hard. You don't want to go through life thinking everyone's a predator and missing out on great opportunities, but you also can't go through life thinking, Oh, I know this person. They would never, because that's what it always is. It's, it's not, you know, it's not the random person in the van asking kids to jump in. It's the person that they know and feel safe getting in the car with. And that's the thing as well. Like, this is why these conversations are so important. Like, yeah, you don't want to fear monger, right? But parents need to be aware of these things. You know, being unaware of them or keeping your head in the sand is not going to protect your child. And the fact of the matter is, the sad fact of the matter is that any pedophile will want to hang around children as much as they can and get access to children as much as they can. So that's why they take roles like this, like a gymnastics coach, like a gymnastics um, doctor, you know, like a high school teacher. You know, we recently um, Chris Dawson was convicted of the murder of his former wife, Lynette Dawson, and that happened 40 years ago and he was only convicted a few weeks ago. He was a high school teacher who was grooming and, abusing one of his students who he later married and she's the one who kind of got the ball rolling with the conviction and everything once they separated but he was this great wonderful nice guy but he's in this position of power and taking advantage of it and it's the sad truth and I you know I had this conversation with my sister recently because she's just had her first child and it's like I know that I live in this world maybe a little bit more than others you know, because we're having these conversations consistently, but keeping your head in the dark is not going to protect your child. And it's even with an infant, it's a swim teacher. You know, you've got to be aware of it enough to just at least question it and be around as much as you can. And it's terrifying. I think one of the most important things that I've kind of learned from my story is teaching teaching your kids, number one, what's okay, what's not, if something feels wrong, tell someone, keep telling someone until they listen. Um, you know, in my situation, I told my best friend who was 12 and she didn't know what to do and nothing came of it. I also later wrote letters um, to one of my other coaches that was great. Um, and she was young, you know, she was still in college and I think she didn't know what to do with it, but she didn't report it. I told another coach and they didn't report it. Nobody, um, which is kind of another tangent in itself, but because people didn't know to report things in. But Tess later, is the victim that um, he was finally um, convicted of abusing after an incident happened with her. She went home and told her best friend and her friend said, you need to tell your dad or I will. And so she did tell her dad and got police were called and he was fine. Things finally caught up with him and he was finally prosecuted. But, you know, I think that's something that's also super important to teach our kids that if, you know, if your friend tells you that something's not right, to help help them by speaking up and telling somebody. I think oftentimes kids think they need to keep their friends secrets, but you know, we also need to teach our kids that if your friend is being hurt, it's okay to tell and break that secret. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is why I love the book, The Wild Armored Child by Joel Castiex so much is because, you know, it teaches kids, you know, teachers or adults should never ask you to keep a secret. And that should be a red mm-hmm. flag, you know, like, if your kid comes home and says, oh, I can't tell you, my teacher told me it's a secret. Well, that's a huge, like, what? Like, <laughs> And there's just things like that that we can definitely do. But I guess with this offender, so like you just said, there's been multiple cases. So he's gone from institution to institution. And when you are 
sadly being abused by this man, did he, he eventually left because he was abusing those other women. And then did he remain in contact with you or was that kind of done? That was the point at which the abuse for you stopped. That's when the abuse for me stopped. He did try to come and watch one of my um, competitions that my dad clearly definitely escorted him out from. Um, He did later. I talked with one of the other owners that I was really close with at the gym and he and I worked to get him fired from a few other gyms in the area because of what he had done. I guess before that though, is when he showed up at my cheerleading practice and sat there and watched that. But after he was fired, that basically broke the access to me. So after that kind of has gone through, you said you told a few people when did you eventually end up telling a parent or guardian or when did this become more well-known when you went to the police? So this was probably two years afterwards. I maybe, no, I think it was a year afterwards. I started writing letters to one of my coaches. She was also one that was abused by him as well that he, he was fired for. Um, she was one of the chaperones at a camp that I went to where a lot of, where some of the abuse happened. Um, she even shared a room with me that she was one of the chaperones and shared a room. And I remember the next day her telling me that I was talking in my sleep. And for a year, I worried that I was talking about it in my sleep. So I started writing her letters that were kind of almost like a, almost like a diary in a way, just trying to get some things out. And I, that was the first time that I really told someone in depth some of what had happened. And I think I wrote the letter and I didn't even know where to send it to. So I left it in my dresser for a while and my mom stumbled across the letter. And so that's when they knew that something had happened to me. Her and my dad made me get into therapy. And I'm, I think the therapist was great. I'm not sure why. For some reason, the therapist waited until I admitted what happened for, to report it. So then another year went by or so, and then it was finally reported to the police and child protective services. So I was about 15 once that happened. That's incredible. And it it just shows your, you know, how much you must have been confused and hurting as a young child trying to understand this. And, you know, it's not every child's initial response to go and tell people what's gone on and, and how that's happened. But I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, at least your mum found that letter and you were able to start to get help sooner, I guess, rather than later, even though it was a number of years after. But what mm-hmm. ended up happening for you with, with that allegation and, wh- and where did that go? So from what I remember, I remember going to the police station. I remember being interviewed in one of the interview rooms with an officer I remember there was a woman in there and I didn't looking back now, I know who it was, but um, they did an interview and I remember they talked to my parents and then that's the last I ever heard of it. I never heard of him being arrested. I never heard of um, child protective services doing anything, any kind of outcomes. So I just figured that was it. I know my dad told me that the police tried to interview him, but he was dodging them and they eventually just, dropped it. Um, Now as an adult, I'm told that the case was sent to the DA's office, but the DA declined to prosecute for an unknown reason. Um, And I mentioned earlier that I was a social worker and I was actually working in child protective services and I stumbled across my own file in the office one day 
And that's how I learned that social services had substantiated my abuse. Um, and interestingly enough, as a victim and as the child, I don't have a right to that information. So my mom had to call and request the le- a letter. And so that's how I now have a substantiation letter saying that I was abused by David Bird. And that's horrible as well, even that for yourself to have to go through that. What was it like reading and realizing that stuff actually was happening behind the scenes, but you just weren't aware of it? Um, I mean, I was in shock when I, when I found that. I went to my boss right away and told her. And I mean, I never, in some ways it was, it was definitely hard to find, but also in a lot of ways it was, I'm thinking, I can't, validating. You know, that was the first time I ever had, you know, someone outside of my family or, you know, on paper that this really did happen and what happened was abuse. And I was probably 25 years old when that happened. That was a big deal. You know, my case was never prosecuted. Um, We never heard anything more. Later, uh, again, this is backing up. Sorry, I'm going all over the place. But there was a point when I was in college that I found out he opened his own gym. And my first thought was, oh, no, how do you get someone fired from their own gym? And so it was in a town 20, 30 minutes away from me. And I remember at least a couple occasions driving up there, sitting in the parking lot and trying to get up the nerve to go in there and start telling parents who this person was, et cetera. And the owner of the gym that I worked at, we even met with a lawyer to talk about if that would be okay or not. And they're like, well, it's not slander if it's true. But, you know, at at that time, I didn't know that DCF, I didn't know that Child Protective Services substantiated. So I had no one really to back me up. And I, I never ended up going in. And then a few years later, I hear that he's been arrested for child abuse. And I just felt so guilty. You know, if I had gone into the building that day and said something, I could have maybe stopped it. But by the time I was that age, you know, the um, criminal statute of limitations was up. I couldn't have done it. Legally, I couldn't have done anything. But had the police or the DA taken my previous statements more seriously or they had done something again, nothing would have happened to Tess. Yeah. And who knows how many countless others in between. At a stage where you've got your claims right that have gone through, you know that he was fired from an from the gym that you were at for abuse. That clearly says to me somebody who has done this before and is going to continue to do it. So if the investigation actually went back and interviewed every child that he had been in contact with or every other person that he had been in contact with, then they could have substantiated allegations very early on because it's clear that this is a somebody who's got a propensity to do this. It's not like, you know, this is a quick discussion about some inappropriate behaviour. Not that that's not bad, but this is about sexual assault. This is about something very serious and he's already got a history of it. So you know, that in and of itself is frustrating and it's just so hard that you've been let down and so many kids have been let down by a a shitty system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mm-hmm. And when he was arrested for what he happened, what he did to Tess, I don't even remember how it happened. Somehow I found out who it was from somebody that knew somebody that said they knew the girl he had abused. And her and I talked on the phone a few times, but kind of disconnected from there. Um, but I had done a local news art news piece and had told just a little bit about my story because it when he was arrested in the nearby town it, it made our newspaper that he had previously worked there um, and now just about maybe a year ago or so I've we connected with another victim who said she saw my news story and that's when she went to the police for the very first time after years um, so when he was arrested and between the stories about him the story that I did several victims came forward that wouldn't have come forward without hearing that. Um, and the one that came forward after hearing my story, you know, she said she wanted to make sure that people knew that what he really was this person and that we were all telling the truth. Um, but yeah, it's a crappy system that none of our stories could be, could be used. Um, he only got two years for what he did to Tess because of her age. But if he had been convicted of my abuse because I was younger he could have gotten 20 years. So it's just crazy the differences. And and this is the ripple effects as well of abuse. Like you said before, that there's this guilt there. And how imagine how many of these young women and girls have that guilt as well that they didn't, you know, prevent it. But it's so important that we recognize that this person's behaviors were their choice and their choice alone. And you know, it's not up to victims to stop an offender from perpetrating. That's their choice. They're the bad guy. But as well, it is, it sounds like, you know, it just takes me back to Larry Nassar where 
you know, it takes one person's story being told in a formal setting in a, in a you know, media outlet to pull the string, you know, that eventually unravels everything because so many of you are sitting there with that same feeling of guilt and shame and will I be believed, et cetera, and then having that substantiated that other people have gone through it, you know, that's amazing and incredible. Even you telling your story that one time, on that in that news article has allowed so many other people to to seek that validation and have the strength and courage to come forwards as well. I don't know if this makes sense or not, but you know, in finding out recently that there were other victims before me, you know, of course I feel awful that it happened and et cetera, but it did somewhat relieve somewhat of the guilt of like, okay, I wasn't the only one that couldn't stop this. Yeah. That clearly this person had a history and was going to do what he was going to do until time caught up with him. Um, but that's, this is also a reason for um, a lot of the advocacy work I'm doing. I am a, one of the ambassadors with child USA that um, helps work with states um, about the statute of limitations. We've been working recently specifically on civil cases. Um, and a lot of people ask why civil and not criminal. And of course I would love to have both, but, we're going to start with the one that we can tackle right now. But, you know, in the state of Kansas, you have three years from the time you turn 18 to file a civil case. And so that would have, I would have been 21 years old. And at 21, I wasn't thinking about this. You know, I'm in college and there's, and nobody tells you that there's a time clock going until it's already run out. And when people hear about civil cases, I think automatically people assume money, but it's an opportunity to get somebody's name out there and to get news going that, you know, if somebody can come forward in civil court and make a claim that can bring out other victims that may never have come forward before either and help them to work towards getting closure. So I think it's, you know, really important that we're able to change that. A lot of states in the USA, you know, have um, changed their statute of limitations laws. And I'm currently working with one of the Kansas senators trying to get that fixed. But um, unfortunately, we have a lot of political ties and ropes that we have to get through, but we're going to keep working on it. Yeah, and it's incredible that you're doing that because it is so important. You know, we had the Royal Commission, which is a, you know, like a, a review, a formal, very, very official review uh, done into the institutional child sexual abuse claims that had happened all through the clergy and the churches and everything here as well. And it was even, um, I spoke to somebody recently who was trafficked through an orphanage so there is a lot of abuse that happens within institutions, but what that report and the recommendations that came out of it was that there was no statute of limitations because on average it took people between 30 and 40 years to come forward with historical claims of child sexual abuse. You know, so having three years from the time you turn 18 is just, you know, the data is telling us that that is absolutely nowhere near, not even close to a tenth of the amount of time that people need to come forward and share this. And a tide is changing, but, you know, the work that you're going to have to do and that you are doing is incredible because it's advocating for, you know, the 90% of people who are trying their absolute best but aren't ready right now. Well, and it's interesting that, like, the current laws that we have, a lot of people don't even realise. They're like, what? You Like, they don't even realise that we need the law change. They assume that that would just be a given that you could um, either prosecute or take someone hold someone accountable with a liability. Um, but that's not the case. Nobody knows until it's 
affects them. And by then it's too late. 5,000 signatures recently of people that are in support of our bill to try to get passed. And we'll share that definitely and get more people to sign it and get it shared widely because it does need to happen. But you did say that he was convicted of, of one one case and he was sentenced to a very low sentence. Is that it? Yeah. Has there been anyone else who's been able to bring a claim against this person again or where are we at? Not that I know of. Um, so we have a sexual offender registry that he has to register for, I believe it's 30 years. So he's on the registry, but, you know, registries only mean something if somebody checks them. That just makes it even more terrifying because it's like, so this guy could technically be in Alaska, let's say, or somewhere completely separate from where you are working mm-hmm. as a gymnastics coach again and continuing on what he has been doing. He could have his own kids. He could be in the foster system. Like this is somebody who has prolifically offended and mm-hmm. he's not been able to be held accountable because of these statute of limitations laws as well. So there's, well, and to a degree, you know, certain jobs, they would have to do a background check, then he wouldn't be able to pass. But that's the terrifying thing as well. Though, is just, it just takes one person, one employer to fail to do a background check or, you know, and a lot mm-hmm. of gymnasiums and stuff, you know, I've, I'm a former gymnast as well. And there were some that would just, all of their um, records and everything are all in paper still. They don't, you know, they're not up to date with things. They're just running the gym because they're probably ex-gymnasts themselves who, so they weren't, you know, these people who were like coming over as massive business moguls. And I think that's the terrifying thing too. It just takes one poorly run business mm-hmm. to let this go through. And I hope that the, you know, case of Larry Nassar specifically has, has brought this to the forefront of people's minds enough to be wary that offenders will be attracted to jobs where they have access to children. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because um, when he was when David Bird was arrested um, in 2008, I contacted USA Gymnastics and I said, hey, there's this coach that abused me when I was 12 and was just now convicted of abusing another young girl. I want to get him on the band member list because USA Gymnastics, they would send out a magazine every month to their members and they would have a band member list. This magazine that they would put out every month had a band member list on the back page of the, of the magazine that you could see every month. And I was and I called and I said I want to get this person added to that list. They were like, "Well, we can't do it because he wasn't he was never convicted of my abuse when he was a member, and when he convicted Tess, he wasn't an active USAG member. So, he can't be on the list." They're like, "But don't worry. If he's convicted, he'll he won't be able to pass a background check anyway." So then a few years later, when I found my substantiation letter, I contacted USA Gymnastics again, and they still said they wouldn't put him on the registry on the list until finally in 2018, when I had started working with a lawyer, I contacted the, get them again. And this is after Larry Nasser and the safe sport coming around. Then all of a sudden they put him on the list. They never even contacted me to say they did put him on the list. They never said this is why they put him on the list. And so I've always wondered, is he on the list for what he did to me? Is he on the list for what he did to Tess? Are they just kind of trying to cover what had been done? You know, the fact that this was the third time that I had told them about this person. So, And it's just terrifying that they don't seem to have given a shit until 
you know, and they knew about Larry Nasser. They've, they've known about other cases and they've done seemingly nothing. But, you know, this is another thing where I want to say thank you so much for the work that you've done because, you know, I was a, a victim of abuse through the gymnastics system as well. And thankfully I was never sexually abused through gym. And I, but I can understand so much how easily that would have happened. We were completely isolated in my gym. I don't know about you, but our parents weren't actually allowed to come into the gym and watch. We weren't allowed to be under any supervision. And if parents were coming in, it was like on an open day and you were all on your massively best behaviour and the coaches would all be really nice for some reason. And looking back on that now, that is weird and creepy that my own parents couldn't come and watch where I was spending 35 hours a week as a gymnast. Like it's absolute insanity. But all of the work that you put in and that you're doing now has fed through from gymnastics, um, USA Gymnastics to Gymnastics Australia. And I was actually a part of um, being able to write in what it had done to me as a part of a human rights commission. So I've not really heard back. I know that there was a report. There's been no criminal cases or anything brought forward, but it gave me the first time in my life an ability to write down what I felt had happened. And, you know, as somebody who's been through the sexual assault that I did and gone to court and everything, this still more than anything in gymnastics is such a a difficult thing for me to deal with. Like I can't, because you love gym, you know what I mean? Like you said, gymnastics becomes your life when you are a gymnast. And I've had issues with USA Gymnastics, but I'm an active member and I'm currently coaching. I think there's a lot of great, amazing things about gymnastics. Um, one of my big worries now, I think, you know, with the wake of Larry Nasser, that I think things have done a complete 180 and, you know, some things are really good. But then I also look at my case that um, the only reason anyone ever found out was because I was writing these letters with my coach because I had these one on one. I had these interactions where I was able to talk to someone. And now I feel like a lot of the USA gymnastics and safe sport policies almost have it just so separated that coaches are bad. This is how we're going to protect you from all of them. But I think there needs to be an acknowledgement. I think you said earlier, you know, you're in the gym 35 hours a week. Your coaches know you better than your parents. And so who, who are kids going to go to, you know, I didn't tell my mom, I told my coach. And so, you know, I don't know what the perfect solution is, but it, it worries me that we've taken away an opportunity for kids to tell a safe adult what's going on in their lives. I don't know what the best solution is, but I just, it worries me that the route that I went to finally tell someone wouldn't even be open now. You know, we'd be told that that's, you can't be communicating privately with an athlete. Um, and again, I understand it's there to protect, but I think there's also some limitations with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I work in local and state government myself now doing different policies and things. And I always say, I just wish we could have a common sense clause. Like, can we have a common sense clause where something's going on? I'm a good person. I'm not going to take advantage of a child. And I get that they can't mandate that. (laughs) But at the same time, you should be able to communicate your concerns at least or have these chats. But it is, it is really difficult. And I think, you know, the same goes for teachers, the same goes for so many different things. And that's why so many people are mandated reporters like that because who are kids going to come forward to? Most of the time they're probably scared to tell mum and dad because they don't want to get in trouble. Well, yeah, and I mean, and you look at Larry Nasser, the way that came out was a gymnast telling another gymnast and her coach, 
heard what was had happened and that started the ball rolling. So it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think that we've, you know, what you're doing now with this statute of limitations bill is incredible. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about what we can do to help you um, and how we can work together, I guess, in some way to get this moving forward and, and I guess what the ultimate goal is? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely we have a petition started that we would love to get anyone and everyone to sign. Um, also, I can send you a list of email addresses for the senators that are um, on the committees for getting this bill pushed through. Um, everything's on hold for right now, but it will be coming up soon again in the next few months. But to even just get that you know, bird in their ear if this is something that's important and that people aren't going to stop until it's taken care of. So I think it's an, it's an incredible thing because what we're hoping, I guess, at the end of this as well is that people would have an extended period of time to come forward and civilly hold hold a perpetrator accountable, you know. And I think yes. for you for that, after that happens, hopefully that goes through, there's no statute of limitations. Do you think that would automatically flow through to the criminal side or do you think this whole system and and thing that you're doing now for the civil case will need to be redone in some way to try and change the state statute? Um, you know, I think civilly is definitely a huge step. Um, you know, the state of Kansas in the last few years did put out a law that there is no statute of limitations criminally on rape. Um, so you would think that doing the same thing for sexual abuse would be helpful. Um I think, you know, I, I look at my case and how it was sent to the DA, but the DA declined to prosecute. I think there's a different level of burden of proof with criminal as there is civil. And in either sense, I think one thing that's so important about getting these people held accountable, I mean, A, it's a, it's a sense of validation for the victim, but it's also just a warning call to others out there in the community that, you know, people think, well, he's, they passed a background check, but a background check's only good if somebody's been caught, you know, Larry Nasser checked, passed a background check for years. And what does that tell us? So I think it's being able to get someone's name out for what happened. And, you know, being a, a victim in a civil suit that I was in with USA Gymnastics, et cetera, you know, getting financial gain is one thing, but it's just, it's also just knowing that they believed somebody believed me and someone agreed that I was worth something for what happened to me. And it's actually like going through the whole lawsuit process over the last, let's see, I started this in 2008 and just ended in 2022 or sorry, not 2008 um, in 2018 and ended in 2022 is it's somewhat been a healing process going through and discovering old letters that I've written trying to go through and get police reports, um, which is also another issue in itself. I've learned that as a minor victim of a crime, I don't have access to my police file because he was never convicted. So time and time again, I feel like his rights matter more than mine. Um, and even so Tess, her case, she was, he was convicted of her. She was able to gain access to her whole file Granted, she had to pay several hundred dollars for it, which, again, seems odd. Um, but I did finally, law enforcement let me come and sit down in a room with them 
with the file and I could ask certain questions or they would let me see bits and pieces, but I couldn't take anything. I've just been someone who I want to know as much possible about what happened and who knew what. And, you know, I think that's a lot of what you hear about the Jamis and the Larry Nassar lawsuit. People just, people want to have information. It's, it is healing to know the facts of what happened, especially because when you are being abused, you're either, you're at a younger age, you don't understand what all's going on. And it's a totally different perspective as an adult looking back on everything. Absolutely. And you've had the, you know, your imagination going wild with it. You've been making, you know, and that's traumatic in and of itself anyway, because your mind goes to different places, right, with different things. But you you might have been gaslit. You might have gone through this situation in many different ways. To have something factually written down that you can have that's tangible, you know, is it's important. And I get that. I mean, I requested my file from my case where my perpetrator the perpetrator who offended against me, sorry, I try not to say my perpetrator because he's an offender, you know, that's it. Um, nothing to me. But anyway, um, yeah, I could only, I still find this weird and I need to go back and try and do it again, but I could only get a portion of my files that were all redacted. I get mm-hmm. us not being able to access their social security number, their, you know, addresses, etc. I completely get that, but I couldn't access and I really wanted to see what he had said in the interview when the police interviewed him. I can't access that. The only way that I could access some of those files was if he gave me authority to. So he had choice over whether I could see, even though he was convicted of sexually abusing me, like what, in what world is he going to be like, yeah, you know what, just give her the files. That'd be fine. I don't mind. Like why does he get any say? So when I tried to request mine, Um, It was so hard for even the police to find because so much had been redacted. So like, this is my one page copy that I have. And it literally has an address of the gym that I was at. Granted, a lot of things happened not at that gym. It doesn't have my name. It doesn't have his name. It has an approximate dates, the date of the report. And that's it. Yes, that's all. Does Yeah, neither of our names, nothing. And what the offense was, aggravated and decent liberties with a child. My mom found the letters and stuff that I talked about. And so I now have copies of those that I wrote to my coach. Sorry, I'm going off tangent. It's interesting reading back some of these letters and just talking about and hearing kind of the mindset that I was in. I talk about how I'm so depressed, how I'm so fat, I'm so ugly, I'm all these different things going back and reading them just kind of puts me back in that mindset. So. Absolutely. And was that something that he was perpetuating for you? Like this self-loathing as well to try and control you more? Is that something, or was that more of a culture outside of that? Um, I think he just, he knew that I was dealing with a lot and then, well, and I mean, in these letters, it talks about how, I was after things had happened. And so I look back in my life and when things really went downhill and, you know, it was a combination of what had happened to me and my dad's struggle with mental illness. And, but they completely go together because I know I was targeted for that reason. You know, from what I've gathered about David Bird's victims, we were all around, you know, 12 to 15, 
um, had parents that were either divorced or in the process of divorcing. Um, none of us were, you know, the standout athlete. None of us were the, you know, the super popular girl. We, you know, and he targeted those things. We all had something going on that we needed that, that friendship for. A skill defender and a skill defender knows and has enough intelligence and wherewithal to know the people who are less likely to come forward and tell their parents about it, the people who are more likely to be malleable and controllable um, and all of those things. And that just speaks to the fact that he probably is a massively prolific offender. It's scary. There's not more cases that have been able to be brought against him or the more people don't know his name. And I think that's something that for community safety we should share. And on this podcast we usually don't name the offenders because I want to give you the victims and survivors of these crimes, you know, the forefront. I don't want to give them the forefront. But this is different. This is a situation where still potentially public safety could be at risk here. Kids could be in danger. This is a somebody who has been found guilty of this. And like I said before, it just takes one person not doing that background check. And like you said, Larry Nassar. And he's now married, he's now married um, to a woman who has grandkids that are often around and we suspect they might be living in the home with him. So it's pretty terrifying. Um, one of the recent news pieces we did last summer um, the news went to, to his house to try to confront him and um, the wife answered the door and was instantly screaming at them to get away, et cetera. You know, she didn't even want to hear any of it. Thank you for listening to part one of this amazing discussion with Kim. We will be back next week with part two. Um, thank you so much. And don't forget as well to please go on to Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you can. Don't forget to to join the Survivor Support Network as well if that is something that you're interested in doing. We are also organizing a heap of events through there. So whether you're in the local Melbourne area and you want to join a walk, whether you want to join us for a couple of drinks or a brunch one day, or you want to join an international Zoom where we're catching up with some of the people that are a part of the Survivor Support Network from all over Australia. These have been really fun and I'm looking into making some, I guess, additionally fun Zoom uh, hangs. But at the moment, it's just a pretty chilled environment where you get to chat with people who you share possibly a commonality with. But for now, thank you so much for listening to Reclaim Me. In addition as well, if you have been triggered or would like to seek some help and support after listening to this episode, please see the show notes for this episode. Have a look and see if there's a local crisis service in there for you. If you're not sure, just chuck in a Google. If it is an emergency, call your local emergency services line uh, in Australia, triple zero. So please don't uh, be silent. There are a lot of victim survivors out there who are willing and ready to talk to you. And always make sure that you can trust in other people that we will believe you and your story. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be in touch soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.